You're listening to Rise and Shine, raw chats with real women in small business. We explore the wisdom, stumbles, and wins of females who are carving out their own path in the free fall of business ownership. I'm your host, Rachel Green, SEO copywriter and founder of Shine Copy. Let's do it. Profit is the cherry on the small business pie. It's the one thing we all need to build a sustainable business. That's why today in this episode, I'm picking the brain of Jazz Paris Ram, the pricing queen. Hey, Jazz. Hey. Cool to have you. Thanks for joining me. No worries. Always love a good chat on a Tuesday morning. Uh, If you're listening from the future, it is a Tuesday morning at approximately 10.23. So just so you can get it in your head. So you're known as the pricing queen. What does that mean? So for me, the pricing queen was born out of necessity. Um, I ended up having quite a few other creatives flood my DMs and say, how the do I price this? How do I put a dollar amount on more than just my time, but also my skills, my abilities, and also try to avoid the dreaded underquoting or undervaluing our services. And it happens so often in the creative space. It happens in other spaces, most definitely. I've definitely heard ones like in the music space. Um, there's been lots of other kind of areas that people undervalue themselves, but it's really notorious for creativity because we kind of use it as a discount code at checkout because we enjoy what we do. But for me, the the pricing queen was definitely something that came about because after 14 years, I think I've seen pretty much every pricing situation within my own business as a designer. And I got to a point where I'm like, well, I'm needed for someone who was me five, six, seven years ago to kind of throw the hand back and say, hey, these are the things that you probably don't know at this point in time, let me help let me help you Um, because my dad always kind of brought me up on the idea that when you get good enough you throw the hand back you pull someone forward so yeah pricing queen is is that helpful hand that pulls someone forward and says hey this is how to price ah that's such a cool beginning like and your what your dad taught you it's i think so often the case that every like little things from your past kind of add up to put you in a position and they make sense and it's like yes this is why i'm here absolutely yeah and i think that um the the idea that our paths are all linear and it goes one then this then two then we go to three and it's like well actually there's an a and then for some reason there's like this weird you know symbol that takes us down a different path and journey and mine definitely wasn't just uh study then become a designer then do this then do that it was definitely a, a winding path and it doesn't mean that it was the wrong way it means it was the right way for me Mm. And so when did you start um, your design business? So my design business was one of those ones where I started um, doing it as I was studying. So I did an advanced diploma in graphic design and photography, which was a three-year course back when I studied it. And I sound like an 82-year-old and I'm proud to be it. Um, But when (laughs) I studied, it was a three-year course. And during my second year, I started going and pursuing jobs around my studies because it was it was full-time but it was TAFE full-time so which means like 30 contact hours and they expect you to do extras around the um like for your assignments and stuff so I'm always someone that I like to do things for a purpose and so I went and found clients who fulfilled the briefs of my um like my studies that I had to 
do to pass my course. And from that, I started freelancing. So I freelanced on the side as I was studying. Then when I graduated, I went into kind of full-time employment, but still freelanced on the side. And then when I moved to, so I'm originally from Adelaide. Um, and when I moved to Melbourne, um, <laughs> for a musical theater career. Yes. Uh, I did a, a year of musical theater studies because I was stuck in a rut in Adelaide in design, in a design studio that didn't fulfill my passions or my love of design. And I got to a point where I was like, okay, time to pursue something different. Did that for a year, hated every moment of it, would not recommend, um, but ran back into the loving arms of graphic design and went back into employment. Then if you're following along this far, well done. So proud of you. Um, I then transitioned. I had a transition year where I did a three day a week maternity leave cover job, which then gave me the ability to build like an actual freelance design business on the side and build that up over time. And then by the time that maternity leave finished, I was full-time freelancer and that was about six, seven years ago. And since then I've been building my business with a range of different clients, learning as I go, knowing that nothing is the way that it's always going to be. I used to you know, burn through 30, 40 clients a week of like, you know, constant client uh, clients asking me, oh, can you do this? Can you do that? Can you do this? Can you do that? And I've gotten to a point now in my business where, because I'm teaching as well, and that takes time and, and commitment and priority as well. I have maybe eight core clients that I serve regularly, a couple that pop in once in a while, and I don't take on very much new work unless it fulfills certain criteria for me. What an awesome position to be in, hey, to, where you can pick and choose yeah. who you want to work with and who you don't want to work with. <laughs> so when you started freelancing, were you undercharging then? Because I know that's something you're passionate, I hate that word, but you're, you're intense about when people yeah. charge. So you're guilty I, of that too? <laughs> I like it. Intense about, just do it. Um, <laughs> but I think we all undercharged at some point. But I also think that you need to undercharge to learn that you're undercharging, or you need to at least see that you're, you could be doing different or could be doing better with your monetary income slash other kinds of income. Because I think that um, it's a bit of a, a tangent there, but there is other things that are, have value other than money, um, depending on the way that you set up your business. Um, when I first started as a freelancer, finishing straight out of TAFE, I think it was $35 an hour, but these days I'm $200 an hour, but that fluctuates depending on the, the job that I'm working on, the client that I'm working for, because that can massively change. Um, and in those early years and those early days where I, when I first started freelancing full-time and that was my full-time um, role, I had a number that was on the value of my time, which I think it was around about $85 an hour. And then I would then either charge that out and exchange time for dollars, which has a sustainability ceiling. Like you can only do that for so long until you burn yourself out or until your hourly rate gets too high that no one actually wants to buy it. Um, and over the time I slowly increased that and the increase was based on 
inflation because that's what people who are employed in businesses do often get is rate raises or um, salary raises based on inflation. Also my increase in value that I was providing for my clients because of the skills that I was developing. And it also changed because of the kind of clients that I was serving. The kind of clients that I was serving were actually able to pay the higher rate. And I only needed a couple of clients to fulfill what more clients had fulfilled in the past. And they only needed to validate it once for it to become my new rate because that was then defined and validated by, okay, someone is willing to pay this that WTP, that willing to pay number, that's then become, okay, that's the next rate. And more often than not, I won't charge hourly. I might charge retainers, which is a, a client retaining your services for an allotted period of time based on the hours that you um, have kind of booked with them or put aside for them as a VIP or projects. Or it might be that they have been project-based rates, but the value has been adjusted because it's going to be actually more valuable to that particular client. So there's lots of different ways that you can actually price yourself different from just these are the this is the time that I'm working, this is what the expenses are, this is how much it is. I think we <clears throat> often like, especially when you're just starting out, actually even if you've, you've started out and you're doing it, <laughs> you're yeah. using, you just automatically go, this is how much time I'm spending on this job, obviously for service industry, not um, e-com, and this is how much I'm charging. And you don't think about layering in those other factors that you've just talked about, or like your expertise, the way you do it, the experience that you offer, the, all those kind of, I guess, almost intangible parts. It's just mm. like the fallback, oh, I'm gonna spend five hours, I'll charge a hundred dollars, that's 500 bucks, thank you very much. But it's so much more than that, is that right? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And that $100 that you've put on your time, what does that cover? Like, I know that it covers your time, but if like you need to know what your cost of doing business is per week or per month or per year, because if your hourly rate or your dollar value that you put on your time doesn't cover what it costs to run a business, you're not running a business, you have an expensive hobby. Right, money sucking hobby. Yeah, I and I have too many of those. Like, come on, I took up cross stitch during lockdown, and that has not panned out. I'm telling you right now. <laughs> How do you know if you're undercharging then? You know, if you're undercharging by a few different ways, it, you actually do need to know your numbers. And I, I don't really love doing the math, but you do need to know what it costs to run your business, and then actually start, you know, running the numbers of okay, if I'm charging $100 an hour and my expenses per month are $2,000, I know that I have to work and bill 20 hours just to get by, like just to cover everything. You So you need to know your numbers. But I find more often than not, if you are undercharging, you're probably getting more yeses than noes. We feel like the no you're too expensive is actually actually a horrible thing it's such a good thing it's like a flag throwing up in the air being like okay time to charge more because you know it means that someone sat there and gone oh no you're too expensive cool awesome but if, if you're getting too many people saying yes 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 take 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 it means that you're probably too cheap it means that you've probably got too many people going and taking those services and going oh 
that's a good deal. That's that's fine. That's cheap. That's no worries. But then that should give you an indication that you probably could be charging a bit more. And it, it becomes a bit of a research in that we're not comparing ourselves to the other people's numbers. We're not going to sit there and go, okay, so you're charging $60 an hour. I'm charging $40 an hour. Therefore, I must be 33% less valuable than you. It's okay. Well, what are you doing differently that I can employ into my systems and into my situation or what can I do better that gives a more value to the client? Or thirdly, what client can I find that will pay more because my services suit what their um, values are or what their outcomes that they're aiming for are? There is always going to be someone who will pay an exorbitant amount but you need to have confidence in the value that you're bringing to charge that amount because otherwise you're just taking people for a ride and making like the industry really burnt really really burnt so you need to be able to kind of show why you are valuable but you also need to be able to be delivering on that value yeah i was going to say i think for many people if they get to the point where they're like okay yes i am worth significantly more i'm going to be charging a higher rate to reflect that then the next challenge becomes I guess that's talking as a copywriter how on my website do I communicate that value and show people that I am bloody worth this amount I think mm. that's probably where people can get tripped up too is that yeah right in your experience yeah absolutely and that's a really good opportunity for you to start talking to your ideal customer or your ideal client and asking those questions of like well, why did you hire me in the past or what what key factors um, were those decision-making kind of light switches that happened for you to make it feel like you were the right person to be hiring? And for I actually had a client a couple of years ago tell me you were the most expensive option out of the three designers that we looked at by miles but you had the most passion. We could see that you could communicate what we wanted. So that means that the value for them wasn't just about how many dollars are they handing over to solve problems or to finish what they needed to get finished, but they also needed someone who had passion or had interest in what they do. So don't think that just because you're not the best designer doesn't mean that you're not the perfect fit for that particular client because you might have something that is valuable in that transaction that you don't even know about. Um, I had a friend of mine who she was like, oh, I'm starting as a designer, but all I've done so far is project management roles and I'm not that great of a designer. I'm like, but you're really good at organizing projects. Like, I cannot tell you how many creatives sit there and go, oh, like project management is overwhelming. So like if you have something else that you can bring to the table, that makes you valuable, but then you are developing the um kind of tack on skills or the side plates of skills that you have, you can then serve something to your client that's actually really valuable as a whole dish rather than just, I don't know enough, therefore I'm not valuable. Mm. Yes, I see what you're saying. And sometimes it might be even just about the way you pitch yourself and what you do bring. Do you think that like self-doubt and I don't know, plain old imposter syndrome come into play when you're undercharging or thinking about your pricing? Absolutely, most definitely, because um, 
I'm sure I can uh, connect with anyone listening to this podcast and sitting there about to send out a quote and changing it by $10 and then changing it by another $10 and then like going, oh, no, no, no. Oh, but what if, but I can tell you right now, they're not going to uh, change their entire, um, <laughs> their entire basis of hiring you on base of, on $10. And if they are, then you might want to change what kind of client you're chasing. But yeah, imposter syndrome and, um, and self-doubt definitely sneak in, but I kind of want to get you guys to think about imposter syndrome as something a little bit different. So I wrote about this a little while ago um, on Instagram and in my blog, but your imposter syndrome, I want you to approach it like it's a ankle bracelet. Now I'm not talking about the pretty ones, I'm talking about the beepy ones. So your ankle bracelet of imposter syndrome wants to keep you safe. Your imposter syndrome wants to keep you safe where it knows what all the variables are, where it wants to make sure that you are the safest and most logical outcome is going to happen. And as soon as you step outside that comfort zone, it buzzes and beeps and freaks you the hell out. Like you, you don't know what to do. The thing is, it's not there to hurt you. It's there to let you know that you are outside of your comfort zone. It's just letting you know. It's not trying to be like, you are the worst. It's saying, we don't know or we can't be sure what's out there. The funny thing is the more that you push outside of that comfort zone and the more that it beeps and buzzes, the larger your comfort zone is going to be. And eventually you're going to get like five or six steps out and you're like, oh, well, the thing that I need to do is only three steps back in. That's kind of comfortable still there. Okay, I'll do that, but then I'll venture out again. So your imposter syndrome is just trying to keep you safe. It's trying to keep you secure, but you do need to push it if you want to grow or you can stay inside your comfort zone do the same thing that you've done every day. And if that's what you choose, that is totally fine. Please do not feel like that's a bad thing. You're allowed to sit in your comfort zone and, you're, and sit there with your udi and be warm and safe. It's comfortable. But if you're seeking more, you can't stay inside your comfort zone. Yes, that is an excellent explanation. And I guess self-disclosure time here for me, like doing this podcast is something far out of my comfort zone. But since I'm, mm -hmm. you know, 12 or so episodes deep um, as the host, um, yeah, my circle of um, my com circle of comfort, I guess, is extending. And I'm like, yeah, I can do that. And as other, as other opportunities are coming to me, um, like masterminds and speaking to other audiences, I'm like, yeah, I can do that because I've done my Absolutely. podcast. And that circle is expanding. And I guess my faith in myself is, is growing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, Brene Brown put it quite perfectly on her first podcast episode. She was like, why is this so hard? Why is, why is this so difficult? And I'm just going to put a, a profanity warning on this next part. But she um, she sat, sat there and she goes, oh, I know what it is. It's FFT. It's fucking first times. And fucking first times happen. So those first times have to happen. I, I often, when I'm drawing, I get to a point where I'm like, oh, this is going nowhere. I don't feel like I'm going anywhere. I'm just in the shit bit. I'm just in the shit bit and I've got to push through. So, you know, understanding that every single process, whether it be working with clients, whether it be developing your prices, whether it be, you know, trying to learn how to work with design tools, you're always going to have the hard bits to start. 
And when all else fails, remember there was a time you didn't know how to use a spoon. You now know how to use a spoon. So you're going to get better the more you try. I mean, how good are you at eating soup now? Amazing. So you are going to develop those skills over time and apply that mindset to anything that you have to learn, um, which is very hard. I know as someone with an ADHD brain who sits there and is like, if I'm not perfect at it the first time, I must be failing. But you know, trying something over and over again literally builds those muscle memory and the muscles help you grow and go further. Yes, I love it. Good. <laughs> what about like, you're in a pretty niche, or well, two pretty niche zones, I guess, if you look at your graphic design side and then your pricing side. Um, mm -hmm. What's your experience with stepping into your niche and owning it like you do? It was very it was very hard for me when I first started into specifically the pricing side of things, because I even had people who I reached out to, to have on my Instagram lives who are like, Oh, pricing for creatives. That's very niche. I'm like, yeah, but how much do you hate it when you feel like you're talking, when you feel like you're in a room full of lots of people and not important. When you feel like that there's that the person who's talking up on stage or talking is not talking to you or is just breezing past and making assumptions about you. And I also find that the things that people struggle the most with, like pricing, are the ones that need that little bit of like extra assurance that I can actually help them and the confidence there. Um, it took me a really long time to be okay with wearing the pricing queen crown and it took me a very long time to call myself a lettering artist when I was doing lettering art. It took me a long time to call myself a graphic designer. But these are words that we put on ourselves and we have to put them on ourselves and put them on our chest. Or in my case, I currently have pricing queen across my back um, on this romper that I'm wearing on screen. Uh, and, and I have to show up and be the me that I needed back then so that other people can kind of believe in that as well. I have had situations where people are like, oh, no, I, I don't need help with pricing. I need help with creative business. And that's where I say, well, pricing is one of the pillars of creative business. And whilst I am a specialist in pricing, I understand that the pricing that you put on yourself has that kind of ability to change the way you do business and the way that you operate your creative business as a whole so when i teach pricing we talk about the what uh, and the different flavors in my courses and in my content but we also recognize that they're that they are one piece of the meal they're probably the main course but there's other parts that need to be part of it so how do you show up for your clients what is your customer journey what happens when a client comes back and wants to negotiate how does that work in with your business values as a creative business and that's something that is yet for sure niche but that has other applications and things that rely into it and if it's if a niche solves a pain point then it's powerful Yes, I'm with you because I've niched a few times to get where I am, which is um, relatively uh, niched. <laughs> Niching That's is not a life sentence. It's not a life sentence. It's, it's, I do this thing where I, I call them seasons of yes and seasons of no. And a season of 
either can last anywhere between a month and six months. So a season of yeses, I take as many things on as I'm potentially interested in. I've tried coding. I've tried animation. I've tried illustration. I've um, tried lots of different things that have the core of design, but have other things around them. And then I get to a point where I'm like, <laughs> I can't carry all these things. Time to get rid of some. And I go, okay, season of no time. I'm no longer doing that. I'm no longer doing logo design. I'm no longer doing that service because the, that no longer either fulfills me creatively or monetarily. If it if the service that I'm offering isn't worth the money that I need to charge to be able to do that service, I no longer need to be serving that service. So having that season of yes and season of no, not only strengthens what I can do for my clients and provide for my clients, but it also then gives me the ability to have that niche without, you know, getting rid of something that I'm really good at. It's just develops over time. And if anyone has ever like experimented in the kitchen with a, a particular recipe, you know that each time you do it, you try something slightly different and then it kind of gets better over time. The first time you probably made your favorite dish, it probably sucked, but the like 50th time where you've like, you know, slow roasted the onions in a certain way, or you've done something that makes that dish pop, you know that it's been developed over time and therefore is more perfected in its offer, in its essence, basically. That's great advice. Great perspective there. Um, I wanted to ask you about quoting because like sometimes, so you've got your packages or your price points or whatever, sometimes you get a weird one and it's like, oh, yeah asking you for something that doesn't neatly fit into any of your package. And it's not because you can't do it. It's just, it's not, I don't know, something you thought of before maybe, or something you want to be doing. Like sometimes I get asked to do a website audit and I could do it. And I once did offer it, but retired that service. Cause as you said, it didn't bring me monetary um, satisfaction or creative satisfaction. Um, yeah. So how do you, I don't know, any advice for quoting in that situation? Work out whether you, whether it's, worth it to you. Now I get really like up on a little bit of a soapbox when it comes to the difference between value and worth. So our self-worth or our worth is important to us. Our value is important to our clients and our customers. They do get interchanged all the time. It kills me a little bit inside every time, <laughs> but what you need to do is in those situations, you need to say, is it worth it for me? A wonderful friend of mine, Josh Ryan, um, I make things on uh, Instagram once said to me, I value my naps at a thousand dollars. If I'd rather be napping, I'll say no to the job. And so you need to work out what your like minimum acceptance of either the type of job or the monetary value that it brings is and, and work out whether it is worth it to you. Doesn't matter if it's worth it to the client, it's worth it to you. So if it is like, okay, it would be worth it to me if it had more dollars on it. If the dollars are something that you can negotiate um, or discuss with the client and say, look, this is a service that I don't offer, or this is a service that is a little bit different to my norm. These are the things I can bring to the table, but they come with this higher price tag. And these are the reasons why having an open and honest conversation with the client and saying, look, this is not something that I've done before, or this is something that I have a bit of experience in, and we're going to be learning along the way. And that will change the price here, there, or, or, or whatever 
you can then have a conversation because a, a negotiation is a conversation, not an auction. It's not a, I'll do it for five. No, you do it for 10. Like, it's not like that. It's, it's negotiating what is valuable to you and what is valuable to the client and kind of playing a bit of a snap game of like, yeah, we can do it for less, but you'll get less or we can go do more, but we'll need more. So coming back to that kind of, they might not know any better. So part of that is client education and understanding that it's back and forth and finding that middle ground that where both parties are as happy as possible and then how that affects you going forward, whether it be just this one job or multiple jobs. I, I have one client who my first job for them was like a small ad that was maybe $600. They're now one of the clients that I would say I have definitely made six figures over the course of working with them over the last five years easily. So don't define it on just the first job, but have a look at how you can nurture that relationship and then have better negotiations with them because of that relationship. That makes sense. Do you think, I'm like totally picking your brain here. <laughs> no, please pick, pick away. That's what these are for. Do you think we should be putting prices on our website? Because I feel very strongly that we should, even if it's not the exact price, it's a from figure. You I'm sorry. I'm re- yes. Okay, so if you if you would see our screen at the moment, it's quite hilarious because as soon as you said that, I just like turned into a muppet and like <laughs> wide mouth because literally this week I posted the exact question of should my prices be public, and um and I did a blog exactly on this of like somewhat, and I know that's not a definitive definitive answer, and I know that pisses people off. So when faced with this kind of question, we have to consider the pros and cons. So the pros are that you're being transparent. You've got an upfront answer and you are showing that this is what it is worth. The con might be that that might attract someone who's shopping purely on price. That might be attracting a client that values if you're cheaper than your competition rather than valuing what you bring to the table. So if they're, if you're able to, within putting your prices on your website, show what they get and understand that that is putting you in the, in the crosshairs of someone going, okay, this designer has got this or this creative or this um, copywriter is offering this for this amount of money and this one's offering this for this amount of money you're going to have to be aware that you're going to create a comparison rather than a choice for your client. What I say for that is that you can put your prices on your website, but it depends on the kind of client that you're wanting to attract. And you're allowed to have clients that want just, you know, quick stuff, quick solutions, but being mindful that maybe put in some language of like from or Um, like approximately giving guidelines because then you have the ability to alter and explain to the client why you're altering it based on the kind of client they are, what the value is of the end product, or you can actually go, well, this is what I basically would generally charge. This is slightly different. And these are the reasons why, and that's the cost. Um, I also find that 
if you do have a client that's trying to negotiate you down, we've all had this. We've all had a client that's come in and been like, oh, can you do it cheaper? The response I would say is, well, the only way that we do discount services is if, is if it's a repeat client or a larger order. So say, for instance, you're wanting to do three blogs a month. Well, I can charge you, say, $1,000 for those three blogs a month. Or we can do a three-month ret blog retainer where you get nine blogs over the course of those three months and it might be 2500 because it means that you've secured more work, more dollars, but it's over a longer period of time. And I can almost guarantee you that over that three months, they will change what they want or they'll add stuff. And so what you can do is have contingencies in that retainer agreement in that they can add on extra blogs for a reduce rate or you can do um like upsell them onto okay that blog you're probably going to want to put that on your social post right so how about we include social captions for you that refer to that blog you can add in extra services and so what you're doing is you're increasing the value for the client therefore they're probably going to be more willing to hand over dollars so it's kind of trying to strike that balance and work out okay the job that they're hiring me for what problem is it trying to solve? How can I solve it better and therefore charge more? Mm. It's like, there are so many takes I think people can bring to that question. So it's awesome to hear your take because you're obviously, you're so well considered in all these aspects. I guess- I love that that's the, I love that that's the, um, the perception. I'm telling you right now, there is days where I, crawl into a self-doubt hole and and question everything and I feel like that's just normal because that that's I need to feel that because that's what my students sometimes feel and I need to know how to solve it for myself so that then I can help them solve it as well um truth bomb time I recently um released a mini course that I thought was going to go gangbusters I released it um as part of a summit I was like yeah this is my this is 3,000 people who are my target audience for this exact product and this exact thing and it solves the problem for them I got seven people who clicked and were interested one who enrolled and then immediately was like actually you know what no I want a refund oh. and you know that is a that is a, a blow to a um a self-doubt and imposter syndrome situation but realistically failure gives you a blueprint for success because it shows you what's not working and tells you mm, this could be different this could be better and if we take that mindset into every client job every quote every opportunity it gives us a better kind of mental space of going okay it was a no right now, but how can I change it for the better? Or how can I do this better so that the next person can be more confident in giving me dollars to do the stuff? It's so reassuring to hear that others have it, I think. And yeah, because it's kind of inescapable. I think no matter how confident, how high your profile might be, how successful you feel you are, we all are humbled at some point by Absolutely. Looking at others around us, basically. Yeah. I think, you know, looking at others around us, but taking it with a grain of salt because we don't know everything about their situations. Um, and, you know, I've got massive appreciation for some of my creative idols like Lauren Holm, um, and 
Jessica Hitch and Gemma O'Brien. And I've got massive appreciation for um, like everything that they do. Like Aurelie Moron, she does incredible um, courses and Dominique Falar, she is the queen of typism. But these are all people that I idolize and sit there and go, they can do no wrong, but I know that they've got other things that they are um, like imposter syndromes or situations where they're like, I wish this could be better. And we're all humans. We're all like squishy bags of anxiety that are just as, you know, likely to thrive as houseplants. We just need to work out where our sunlight is and find the best way for us to grow. And that doesn't necessarily have to be the same as everyone else. We just need to find it for ourselves. Yes, exactly. But I think sharing those experiences and hearing other people talk about it, that brings just so much light to you as a houseplant and that is exactly why I'm doing this podcast and the reason it's not about me but it's about others just walking through their business and the wisdom that they've garnered and the experiences that, that they've had so thank absolutely you for, <laughs> for bringing your piece as well um before I finish I want to ask a couple of rapid fire questions so don't think too much just answer me <laughs> don't think um, too much you're asking this of an overthinker okay cool here we go I'm an overthinker too definitely um What's the biggest risk you've taken in your business? The biggest risk I took in my business is, oh, shoes. Um, I I think that the biggest risk I took was taking on a client that I didn't have a gut feeling, a good gut feeling about, and that risk did not pay off um, and it's still not job. paying off by now. It oh, happens. No. <laughs> yes, you always have to listen to your gut, don't you? Yeah, and if you price based on a, a on a gut feeling, you're probably going to go hungry, and that's definitely what's happened. <laughs> or feel like I don't know, ripped off basically, or resent them or the situation because. Mm, absolutely, I think I'm going to change my answer. Actually, going full time freelance was one risk, but turning around and teaching what I know has been, a, I think, a risk that has definitely paid off as in the converse. Like it's definitely paid off because it's opened up the conversation for so many creatives and has had the results of people charging more and getting five-figure clients because of what I've taught them, which is awesome. Yes, it is. You believe in the impact you can make, don't you? Absolutely. Cool. Uh, next one. What's the one business spend you don't skimp on? I mean, other than teal dye, because I dye everything teal, um, the one business expense that I don't skimp on, I'm actually going to go with two. It's accounting and copywriting because I um, have a copywriter who I work in conjunction with to do my sales pages and some of my blogs. And I hate accounting. It makes me very uncomfortable. I am the pricing queen who hates accounting. Um, and so like investing it. in a good um, book bookkeeper and accountant so that I don't have concerns about my financial obligations as a business owner is definitely something that I don't scrimp on. Mm, cool. And smart, smart choices too, particularly the copywriting one. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, what about the one you hate paying for? Mm, there isn't any that I really hate paying for. I mean, like tax is just tax. Like yeah. you tax is the cost of running successful business the more you're paying the more you're the more successful you are i hate paying tax but it's it is literally the bill at the end of the month or year that i just have to pay yeah i know i feel you <laughs> what's one business decision you wish you'd made earlier 
changing the way I priced. I think I spent too long sitting there going, um, I should be charging more per hour, but realizing that it didn't have to be just a, an exchange of dollars for time. I feel like that transition and that change, when I started it, it skyrocketed my ability to earn. Um, I do remember the exact like couple of months where I started changing it and started pricing things on, based on projects and also giving my clients options and putting the the decision-making power in their hands of saying, here's what we can do, small, medium, and large, almost Macca's style <laughs> um, meal deals of like, here's the minimum viable product and this is how much it's going to cost, one up and then one up and giving my clients the ability to choose the way that they wanted to invest in not only themselves but in me. Interesting answer. Cool. A lot to learn from there. Um, that's fun. <laughs> What's the one app on your phone that you wouldn't do business without? I hate that it's Instagram. Like I really do because it's where I do put a lot of my energy in because I do connect with quite a few people. Um, I, I almost would I even say, um, no, it's fresh books. And I know that that's like super cliche for me because I am the fresh books, Australian, um, not ambassador, but I was their first success case study. They're a, a Canadian company that I do. Uh, I work with in that I called them up a couple of about a year ago and said, I've been using your product for seven years. I'm a success story. Come and film me. And they did. Um, <laughs> awesome. Well, but it's so good. Go and get the opportunity yeah. yourself. You can't just sit there waiting for stuff to happen. I love exactly. that. And so I, I called them up and told them. And I also said, you know, as part of this, I want to be able to offer all of my students um, and anyone who works with me as a pricing queen two months free. So that's something that I always offer um, as part of, you know, if, if I've been using fresh books for the last seven, eight years and have been enjoying, you know, building wealth with that, that's, that's the app that I would say I, I use most often cool. daily. Yes. I'm glad it replaces Instagram because me too. <laughs> it's love, hate, more hate than love kind of app. <laughs> At the moment. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. I wish we'd be on our side a little bit more as business owners, because I feel like we cannot exist without it. We need to be putting something on there but it's just so hard to get any traction and you reach get any joy from it so if you're mm -hmm. instagram if you are listening to my little podcast get on <laughs> our side again please <laughs> where can we go to work with you sure so i've got a few little bits and pieces for any of the listeners of today's episode um so if you like pies puns and pricing uh you're gonna love my instagram it is your pricing queen on instagram my little corner my little teal and blue corner of the world um and also for any of the listeners uh today i do have a um pricing calculator that i've set up so it basically you plug in your um desired salary per year you go through and work out the expenses that you have and i have them all sitting there so you can just pull a slider left or right and if you think that it's going to be uh, more or less and then allocate what billable hours that you would have in a uh, in a working week and it pops out what kind of dollar amount you need to be putting on your time to be able to cover all of those so if you head to easyaspiepricing.com slash rise and shine that's where it is awesome thank you jazz no worries legend thanks for listening to rise and shine 
Head to your podcast player, leave a review and subscribe so we can spread the love to more brave, business-minded women like you. You can find me online at shinecopy.com.au.